0: Ah, I'm sitting here with a nice meal of liver, fava beans, and a glass of Chianti, reminiscing about one of my favorite horror films, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs, the only horror film to ever take Best Picture at the Oscars, and the start of a trilogy that is, for the most part, consistently good. The film introduced us to cinema's most complex and terrifying villain in Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist who moonlights as a psychotic serial killer and cannibal, as well as one of cinema's most noble heroines in Clarice Starling, a rookie FBI agent whom Lecter takes a liking to. He agrees to help her take down another vicious killer, Buffalo Bill, who is killing women and skinning them. It's a film so good that it is one of the only three films to ever win the Big Five at the Oscars, meaning Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. It also scored nominations for Film Editing and Sound Mixing. Today on Filmgasm, I take you through the long-running Hannibal Lecter film franchise based on the four-book series by Thomas Harris. I hope you came hungry, because we're working our way through a five-course meal of movies with a TV show dessert. No human flesh included. I think. We'll find out. Before we get started, thanks for tuning in, you macabre mofos. My name is Connor Izagheri, I'm a massive film buff, and Filmgasm is a podcast where I talk about my favorite genre, horror as well as weird Hollywood shit that piques my interest and the careers of notable figures in film history. If you'd like to see more from Filmgasm, feel free to visit Filmgasm.com. It's F-I-L-M-G-A-Z-M. There you can check out daily movie reviews, articles about movies, the newest trailers, and all of my early podcasts that I did with my partners, some of whom appear as featured guests in the future. you have met Austin a few times. I'd also like to apologize to anybody who was waiting for their Episode 7 download in iTunes last week. Ugh. Something went wrong with the feed, and it took me forever to find a solution. Apple podcast support was completely unhelpful, as was Weebly's tech support. They've yet to get back to me. Uh, You can thank Austin's brother, Adam, for helping me find a solution. And if all is well, this episode should be download-ready by Wednesday morning, possibly If not... Hopefully, I won't be around any whip, any weapons, because I will be very close to murder if this happens again. Seriously, it was such a stressful situation. I couldn't do I, I uploaded the thing like five or six times. Nobody could help me find a way out of this. It was, oh, it was infuriating. I'm so glad that's over. Uh, episode 10 is coming up soon, where Austin and I will be covering the career and troubling public life of Roman Polanski, visionary filmmaker and controversial Hollywood titan, who famously escaped a molestation charge in the United States by fleeing to Europe, where he remains today. We'll be talking about his long career as a writer-director, and we'll also talk about the many scandals he's been involved in. Very much looking forward to that. As far as Episode 9 goes, I'm not sure yet. Might just close my eyes and point at a list of potential candidates, unless something jumps out. We'll see. Now, some of you may know that The Silence of the Lambs was not the first Hannibal Lecter film. That honor belongs to 1986 Mrs. Manhunter, an adaptation of Thomas Harris's first Lector novel, Red Dragon, which was published in 1981. Manhunter was written and directed by Michael Mann, who also did Heat, The Insider, The Last of the Mohicans, Ali, and Collateral, just to name a few. It stars William Peterson as retired FBI agent Will Graham, Dennis Farina as Jack Crawford, Tom Noonan as Francis Dollarhyde, and Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter. The film received mixed reviews upon its release and didn't perform well at the box office. It's since gained a cult following. It has an IMDb score of 7.2 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94%. But it's also not certified fresh, so that number isn't very reliable. I watched it for the first time for this podcast, and I gotta say I was fairly disappointed. It's poorly paced, and the 80s synth music really dates it. The later adaptation of the novel was far better, Uh, I thought Brian Cox was way too crazy as Lecter. I didn't buy that he was also a notable psychiatrist with intelligence. He just came across as a vicious killer who would kill again in a heartbeat. And Hopkins had that to a degree, but he also had this insane likability where you wanted to talk to Lecter at a party. You wanted him to like you. Uh, Tom Noonan did a great job as Francis Dollarhyde. Not as good as Ray Fiennes would later, but decent enough that he kept the film afloat and kept me interested. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of 10, and I stand by that. Uh, Before we get into Silence of the Lambs, let's talk a bit about Thomas Harris, the man who created Hannibal Lecter. Little is known about his personal life, as he's famously reclusive and hasn't given an interview since 1976. just doesn't give a shit. He wrote his books, and he doesn't want to deal with the limelight. He's known almost exclusively for the Hannibal Lecter series, of which he's written four novels. 1981's Red Dragon, 1988's The Silence of the Lambs, 1999's Hannibal, and 2006's Hannibal Rising. His novels were met mostly with great success, apart from Hannibal Rising, but more on that later. So, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs was directed by Jonathan Demme, who became a major player in Hollywood due to to his success with this film. His later works included 1993's Philadelphia, 1998's Beloved, and the 2004 remake of The Manchurian Candidate. Demi tragically died in 2017 of complications from esophageal cancer and heart disease at the age of 73. The film stars Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling and Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Foster won her second Oscar for this film, her first win being for 1988's The Accused, A film I know I need to watch, but I've been putting it off because I know it's going to be disturbing as fuck. It's a movie about a woman who survived a gang rape. So, yeah, not exactly looking forward to watching that, but it is something I do have to see down the road. Foster's one of my favorite actresses, and has consistently turned out good work for decades. And nowadays she's working more as a director, having directed 2016's Money Monster, a highly underrated film starring George Clooney. I I liked it. She's also directed episodes of House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, and Black Mirror. So, she clearly has a good relationship with Netflix. Anthony Hopkins was a stage actor who got his big break when he was spotted by Laurence Olivier in 1967 and invited to join the Royal National Theatre in London. He got his break in films in 1968 with the role of Richard the Lionheart in The Lion in Winter, a biopic of King Henry II starring Peter O'Toole and Katherine Hepburn. Hopkins later scored the lead role opposite John Hurt in 1980's The Elephant Man, playing Frederick Treves, the doctor who saves John Merrick, The Elephant Man. It was this role that would later land him the career-defining role of Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs, for which he's won his only Oscar to date, despite being nominated three additional times in the 90s. The film also stars Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford. Marvel fans might recognize Glenn in the role of Stick in Marvel and Netflix's Daredevil and The Defenders. Highly disappointing. (laughs) The Defenders, oh my god. The build-up for that was unbelievable, and then just shit, complete shit. I don't know what happened, but Marvel's Netflix shows just, oh my god. But that's, that's a filmgasm for another time. Uh, we also got the big break of Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill. Levine is a highly accompli- accomplished character actor who, in addition to scaring the fuck out of 90- 90s moviegoers with Buffalo Bill, has appeared in films like Heat, Wild Wild West, Memoirs of a Geisha, American Gangster. Excuse me. He had a lead role on the USA Network procedural crime comedy Monk as San Francisco Captain Leland Stottlemyre. Loved him in Monk. Big fan of that show. The Silence of the Lambs has an IMDb score of 8.6 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 96%. The Critics' Consensus reads, Director Jonathan Demme's smart, taut thriller teeters on the edge between psychological study and all-out horror and benefits greatly from performances by Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. Couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely a solid 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, This film is an absolute masterpiece that transcends genres and is simply mesmerizing. I love it more when I watch it. The chemistry between Foster and Hopkins is flawless. The tension is palpable. The music enhances every scene. And not just Howard Shore's subdued score, but the use of songs like Tom Petty's American Girl for the introduction of Catherine Martin, Buffalo Bill's most recent victim, and uh, Q Lazarus's Goodbye Horses for the now iconic Buffalo Bill dance sequence in which we see Bill dance to the camera in his homemade skin suit. That song was like a dance club song, and now it'll forever be associated with grisly murder. (laughs) Speaking of which, I should probably mention that today's podcast is sponsored by Buffalo Bill's Rubbing Lotion, the only lotion that gets your skin creamy enough for someone else to wear. Available now at www.bullshit.com, because that's not real. Could you imagine if it was? Holy shit. (laughs) Buffalo Bill's Rubbing Lotion that's a t-shirt I have that I got a few months ago, love it got a big moth on it, Just says Buffalo Bill's Rubbing Lotion, it's really fucked up (laughs) my favorite scene in the film is easily Lecter's escape, in which he brutally gnaws on a guard's face then strings the other guard up on the cell bars after disemboweling him then makes his escape while disguised as the other guard whose face he is wearing It's a brilliant bait-and-switch that hammers home just how brilliant Lecter really is. And it sets up the inevitable sequel. But before that, here's some filmgasm facts, the best that IMDb has to offer. Number one, Buffalo Bill was inspired by real-life killer Ed Gein, whose crimes included murder, grave robbing, and fashioning household items from human body parts, including masks, chairs, a belt made of nipples, a lampshade made from a human face and a full skin suit made from the flesh of a woman. He also kept nine female vulvas in a shoebox because insane is not a strong enough word for this unbelievable son of a bitch. He was arrested in 1957 and confined to a mental hospital until his death in 1984. Gein's heinous crimes would later inspire not just Buffalo Bill, but also Norman Bates in Psycho and Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This guy is Buffalo Bill, Norman Bates, and Leatherface rolled into one unbelievably horrific monster. (laughs) Just think about that for a a little bit. Look up Ed Gein and look into everything, like, his life, just everything he did. He only killed, I think, two people, but it was more than that. It was what he did to the bodies. It's so fucked up. Unbelievable. And this was in a small town in, like, I want to say Wisconsin, maybe, where... This didn't happen. People didn't expect that, you know, brutal serial killings. This was in the late fifties. The cops had never seen anything like that before, and I bet it messed with them forever. Ugh. Number two, the silence of the lambs was inspired by the real life relationship between University of Washington criminology professor and profiler Robert Keppel and serial killer Ted Bundy. Bundy helped Keppel investigate the Green River serial killings in Washington. Bundy was executed January 24th, 1989. The Green River killings were finally solved in 2001 when Gary Ridgway was arrested. On November 5th, 2003, in a Seattle courtroom, Ridgway pled guilty to 48 counts of aggravated first-degree murder. Yeah, Green River Killer. Another guy I to look up. He's just a psycho. And Bundy. like Bundy helped, or I guess he tried to help catch this guy. Uh, Number three. Buffalo Bill's dance was not included in the original draft of the screenplay, although it appears in the novel. It was added at the insistence of Ted Levine, who thought the scene was defining the character and how right he was. That scene alone just tells you everything you need to know about this guy. And it's since been parodied in countless media. I know that uh, Seth Green's vocal performance of Chris Griffin in Family Guy was inspired by the way Buffalo Bill talks. (laughs) Which is pretty weird. Number four. When studying the character he played, Anthony Hopkins noticed similar characteristics in reptiles. Reptiles only blink when they want to, and they do it consciously. Therefore, in the movie, Hopkins only blinks in special moments and very consciously. I noticed this upon a recent viewing. Lecter almost never blinks. And it's so unnerving. Because... You don't. If you don't know that he's not blinking, all you can feel is that there's something off about the scene, and it creeps you out. And once you realize what it is, the fact that he's not blinking, its it creeps you out even more. It's a brilliant character decision. Uh, number five. The recent was one of the biggest influences for creating the character of Dana Scully, according to The X-Files creator Chris Carter. So, pretty awesome. This movie led to one of sci-fi's most... Uh, notable characters. I'm a big X-Files fan. Number six. The film has a number of notable cameos, including Roger Corman, Chris Isaac, and George Romero. That's pretty awesome. They're just kind of peppered in various scenes as cops and SWAT SWAT guys. (laughs) Pretty awesome. The Silence of the Lambs was followed by 2001's Hannibal, which saw the return of Anthony Hopkins as Lecter but Jodie Foster was replaced by Julianne Moore who was good but not as good as Foster the film features some significant changes from the book particularly the ending in the novel starling and lecter run away together and fall in love but this never would have worked in the movies and director ridley scott Wright called to change it but after years of being actively involved in getting this sequel made jodie foster ultimately declined to participate she she issued a statement at the time saying quote I had been offered more money than ever in my entire career to make this film but who cares if it betrays Clarice who has become like a person to me in the end but they changed the ending anyway so she didn't want to do the film because the ending involved Clarice running away with Lecter but they changed that anyway so she left for nothing we could have gotten the great sequel with Hopkins and Foster together again but we didn't for nothing ugh it's infuriating Hannibal has an IMDb score of 6.8 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 38%. <laughs> With the critics' consensus reading, While superbly acted and stylishly filmed, Hannibal lacks the character interaction between the two leads which made the first movie so engrossing. And while I agree that the lack of chemistry between Hopkins and Moore is what held this film back, I don't think it's as bad as people have claimed. I gave it a 7. I think it's a worthy successor to Silence of the Lambs, thanks to Hopkins' performance and the secondary villain Mason Verger, played by the legendary Gary Oldman. Verger is the only victim of Lecter's who survived, after Lecter got him drugged and convinced him to cut off his own face. Don't feel too bad, because the guy was a pedophile. So, you know, take it or leave it. Since then, Verger has been planning an elaborate revenge against Lecter, and he won't let anything stand in his way. It's a great subplot that actually pays off. The film also co-stars Ray Liotta as DC piece-of-shit Paul Krendler, who gets arguably the most creative death in the franchise as Lecter effectively feeds the man pieces of his own brain. He's got him tied to a chair, he's got him drugged off his ass, and he cuts open his scalp. While he's alive, while he's conscious, he cuts off a piece of his frontal lobe, I think, fries it in some duck fat in front of him, and feeds it to him. As you do. Ugh. Ugh. Unnerving. Uh, Italian actor Giancarlo Giannini plays Inspector Patsy, an Italian cop who tries to take down Lecter himself for the reward money, but Lecter's two steps ahead. It's a great cast. I think the film is a fine watch that gets a lot of unnecessary shit. I think it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it. You know, I mean, it's got the same tone as Silence of the Lambs. It does, you know... Joanne Moore is distracting because Jodie Foster was better Starling, and yeah, but you know we got to make do with what we got. Time for some filmgasm facts. Number one, the part of Mason Verger was originally offered to Christopher Reeve, based on his work as a wheelchair-bound police officer in 1995's Above Suspicion. Not having read the novel, Reeve showed initial interest in the role, but ultimately declined upon realizing that Verger was a quadriplegic, facially disfigured child rapist. <laughs> Probably something they should have told Reeve. I mean, you imagine? <laughs> Actually, I think he would have been really good. Number two, when Jodie Foster declined to return, a number of actresses pursued the role, including Gillian Anderson, who played Dana Scully on The X-Files. However, Anderson fell out of the running early on when it was discovered in her contract that she was, uh, for the X-Files, or X-Files contract, prohibited her from playing another FBI agent. That's such a weird stipulation. And I think really could have, you know, she I think she would have done a good job. Uh, number three, this is gross. Eating any amount of human brain, no matter how well cooked, can cause prion disease, which is incurable with a high mortality rate. This may explain why you never actually see Hannibal eating any of Krendler's brain. This disease can only be spread by eating already infected tissue. It's essentially kind of mad cow disease. You know, if you eat the flesh of what you are, it's going to possibly drive you crazy. Which might explain why Lecter is insane. Uh, So that's Hannibal. The final film in the Hopkins trilogy is 2002's Red Dragon, which is a prequel to The Silence of the Lambs and tells the story of how Lecter was caught. Hawkins returns, and Edward Norton stars as Will Graham, the agent who caught Lecter and now needs his help to catch a new killer, the vicious and sadistic Red Dragon. It's the second adaptation of the Red Dragon novel, after Manhunter, and does a much better job of embracing the tone of the novel, and it fits in snugly with Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. The film co-stars Harvey Keitel as Jack Crawford, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Freddie Lowndes, Mary Louise Parker as Molly Graham, Emily Watson as Reba McLean and Ray Fines as Francis Dollarhide. The casting is nearly flawless, apart from Edward Norton, who I just don't see as someone who's been through some shit. Graham is supposed to be just beat down, you know, troubled, from just haunted by all the shit he's seen, Lecter particularly. But I just I never see that with Norton. He's always so smug. Uh, however. I thought Ray Fiennes fucking knocked it out of the park. This was one of the earliest films to terrify me as a child, and he's the reason. The scene that freaked me out as a kid was the one where um, Francis is torturing Freddie Lowndes, and he bites his tongue off, sets him on fire, and just rolls him down the street. Fuck! Scared the shit out of me when I was about 10. I'd never seen anything like that before. That, oh my god. It still kind of gives me the willies. Red Dragon was directed by Brett Ratner, of all people, the guy who made Rush Hour, and was praised as a near-return to form after the less-than-successful Hannibal. Must have been weird for people, thinking, you know, Ridley Scott couldn't make Silence of the Lambs again, but Brett Ratner came close. (laughs) The film has an IMDb score of 7.2 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 68%. Critics' consensus reads, "...competently made, but everything is a bit too familiar." True, but it's still a great watch. Eight for me. Time for some film and facts. Number one, Michael Jackson lobbied for the role of Francis Dollarhide. Hell no. That would have been distracting as hell and weird. Number two, Francis Dollarhide was based on Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, who got his name from his preferred method of killing, bind, torture, kill, BTK. Rader killed 10 people in Kansas between 1974 and 1991, was captured in 2005 and is currently serving 10 consecutive life sentences. Real piece of shit. Look him up. Number three. This is a weird one. Red Dragon is also the name of a rumored book in the Vatican Library said to be able to summon the devil, and thus it gives the Pope some of his authority. I don't know exactly what that means, but, you know, you read something like that in the trivia and you have to include it in the podcast. What? So there's a book in the Vatican that apparently can summon the devil and that's part of what gives the pope his authority like what is that like a threat like I could summon the devil at any moment so fuck off probably not it's the pope but you think like the Vatican you know they firmly believe in God and the devil heaven and hell why wouldn't they destroy that book <laughs> why would you have just on hand something that could summon the devil as easily as opening a goddamn book and you don't, like, burn that shit? And at the very least, like, lock it in a box and throw it in the, in the Pacific? Ugh. Number four. The death of Freddie Lowndes was filmed by setting a real stuntman on fire as his wheelchair rolled down the street. No puppets or animatronics were involved. Now, the stuntman was wrapped in protective material, but... God damn. That's Dedication. You'd have to pay me a lot of money to light me on fire. I don't care how many layers I'm wrapped in. See, it's it's stuff like that that makes me really think there needs to be a best stunt work category at the Oscars. Stunt people never get any recognition, and they work the hardest. They risk their lives every day on the set, and they die. People die all the time doing crazy-ass stunts, sometimes doing simple stunts that just go wrong. And they deserve recognition. Number five. The musician that Hannibal sees playing badly and later serves to his dinner guests was meant to be Benjamin Raspail, whose head Clarice Starling finds in The Silence of the lamps. Remember in that uh, storage unit? She finds a head in a jar, and he said it was a flautist. That's the flautist. Because Hannibal Lecter always preferred to eat the rude, or rather people who he deemed were unworthy for civilized society, including bad flute players. That's Red Dragon. I, I like Red Dragon. I like all three of them. There was a fifth Lecter film, released in 2007, but nobody talks about it because it is apparently an absolute garbage fire. Hannibal Rising was based on the fourth Lecter novel by Thomas Harris of the same name, who wrote the book because he didn't want anybody else writing a Lecter origin story without his involvement. He did it for purely financial reasons, and it is the worst book. I've read the other three, and I couldn't even get into this one. It was just so dull and so bad. The film stars French actor Gaspard Ulliel as a young lector who becomes disillusioned with humanity and goes insane with bloodlust after his sister is brutally murdered in the midst of World War II. Hannibal Rising has an IMDb score of 6.2 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 15%. With the critics' consensus reading, Hannibal Rising reduces the horror icon to a collection of dime-store psychological traits. I haven't seen it, but I bet that's spot on. I'm in no hurry to see it either, but, you know, one day, probably. The books were later adapted to the small screen in 2013, with Hannibal, an NBC series taking place before the events of Red Dragon, where Lecter is still a respected psychiatrist and Will Graham is a troubled FBI profiler. Danish actor Mads Mikkelsen portrays Hannibal Lecter and does a damn fine job of it. Film fans will recognize Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre in 2006's Casino Royale, as well as a dozen dozen other notable performances in films like Valhalla Rising, The Hunt, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and the villainous role of Kaecilius in Doctor Strange. The role of Will Graham is played by Hugh Dancy, a British actor who plays Graham as highly disturbed and on the verge of murder himself. The series lasted three seasons, two of which I have watched and enjoyed. I never got around to watching season three. I do own it. I've just been putting it off. I'm sure it's great, and I do not like to leave things unfinished, so I probably will at some point tap into that. Maybe soon, considering I've just done a podcast on Hannibal Lecter, this might be, you know, a sign to finally finish that show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly had fun putting it together. I adore the Hannibal Lecter franchise, and talking about it is something I'll never say no to. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more from Filmgasm, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I promise they will be there on time this week. Or you can go to YouTube for weekly videos every Wednesday. It's also available on the website. So if it's not on iTunes, there are other ways to check it out. It will be there on time every week, I promise. I can't do anything about iTunes beyond email tech support. But YouTube and the website, that's mine. So I can make that happen. Also check filmgasm.com, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, for updates on reviews, podcasts, articles, any sort of cool movie news or trailers I feel like mentioning. I want to thank Austin Johnson and Caleb Bouget for keeping the site fully stocked with reviews and articles. And stay tuned next Wednesday for another Filmgasm.